if I'm not going to have fun in life, why do it? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, I don't want to look back on my life when I'm, you know, 65, 70, 80 years old going, wow, I had a great time being totally stressed out. I mean, it, I just read the article about Elon Musk and he's just like, he's crying and like, he is yeah. under so yeah. much crazy stress yeah. and he's like the, I mean, one of the most brilliant entrepreneurs up there with Steve Jobs and everybody else. But I just don't subscribe to that. I just don't think you have to do that. Hi, my name is Stuart Alsop, and this is my podcast, Crazy Wisdom. What I'm looking for on this podcast is access to craft wisdom, what only people who are creating on a daily basis have access to. A lot of times these people don't really have the time to write about what they know, all their insights. So I dig into people's worldviews about what is the connection between stress and creativity. What role does stress play in the creative process? And what role does creativity play in our ability to manage stress or integrate it? Today I interviewed my uncle, Andy Alsop, who is the CEO and co-founder of the iPad Receptionist app. Um, Andy has a lot of valuable wisdom to to share about stress and creativity. Uh, He's been starting companies for the last 20 years, basically. And in those 20 years, he hasn't really had a major hit until now. Now everything's flowing. And the beauty of what he shares is basically all those stressful moments, all those stressful challenges uh, and unnecessary stress that he created in his previous startups all led him to this realization that he could create a startup without stress, without a huge amount of overwhelming stress. So I really suggest that you listen to this entire podcast. He has a lot of valuable wisdom to share about starting a company, about what not to do, which is what a lot of people can't really share with people. Uh, Give it a listen. If you like it, please find us on iTunes at Crazy Wisdom and subscribe. And if you really like it, please leave a review. Thanks. Have a great day. My name's Andy Alsop. We share the same last name. (laughs) And I am the president and CEO of The Receptionist. We're an iPad-based visitor management system, and we're based out of Denver, Colorado. And uh, we've talked a little bit about stress and creativity on our own. Um, what, do, what is the role that you see that stress plays in creativity? It's interesting because I know I've listened to a lot of your podcasts, and you've talked about the fact that you know creativity is not just somebody who paints or sculpts or whatever else. That creativity is about creating things, mm-hmm. and that's what I've been doing for pretty much my whole career is creating companies. And I've had a lot of stress in the past when I've created companies, either I've taken some investors' money and I haven't been able to scale it the way I wanted to and or I was not able to make payroll. That was a lot of stress for me. And um, so it was stressful make creating companies and honestly I did not want to create another stressful situation. So I chose to purchase this company and acquire it and um, have kind of been running it the way I want to, and it's been delightful as a result. That's great. And can you talk a little bit more about what you guys do? So we are an iPad-based visitor management system. So when a uh, visitor walks into an office, or even in the facility we're in right now, which is the Industry Rhino Station on Walnut Street, people come in and they see the iPad, and there's uh, an indication of uh, to the visitor that go ahead and check in on the iPad. And when they check in on the iPad, they find the person they're there to meet and they finish the check-in process. And then the software uh, sends a text message or an email or a Slack message to that to that contact. And then the contact knows that person's there. So just like today, when you checked in, 
I get a text message and then I'm able to go down into the lobby or the reception area and then um, bring you back to the office for our meeting or whatever else it is. And so you've been, you started companies for a while now. I mean, uh, when was the first company you started and what was it? Yeah, the first company I started was a restaurant in um, Morgantown, West Virginia. Uh, that was 23, 24 years ago. Uh -huh. That was the first one and, and man, talk about stress. Restaurants are like incredibly stressful. Uh, and I didn't really know what I was doing. I had um, uh, I had definitely eaten at restaurants. I had definitely <laughs> gone to the bar and had drinks at, <laughs> at a restaurant. Uh -huh. I'd never bartended. I'd never waited tables. I never worked in a kitchen. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, what do you do in a restaurant? You just make food and you serve people drinks and they have a great time. And wow, I, I remember one of the first days where I had hired my team of... Um, of waiters and waitresses and bartenders and I sat them all down and I was kind of like okay I don't really know what we're doing here but you know we've created a menu and done everything and I had to kind of just invent it on the fly and the restaurant didn't work really well and it was just super stressful there were fights in the bar at times and the, there were days when I'm having a, a full crew there and nobody would come in for dinner and I'm thinking to myself and so I was not a very good restaurateur mm -hmm. so that was my that was my first first foray in entrepreneurship. From what I've heard, the restaurants are also their uh, difficult businesses as well. So it doesn't necessarily have to do with your skill level. It could have been also like other things too. Is that, do you, do you, what do you think about it? Was it something that you did or was it something that the market didn't like? Uh, I'd say it's a combination. Okay. I made a lot of mistakes. Okay. I made uh -huh. a lot of really bad mistakes. Uh, the first chef I hired, I didn't have a lot of money, so I couldn't spend a lot of money. And I didn't even know how to interview for a chef. So this guy was like, yeah, I've worked in restaurants all over the place. Well, something was a little off with him. He was not able to handle stress himself. Uh, so at one point, he shut the door and locked the door to the kitchen while we were having a huge rush and said, I'm done. I can't take any more food. And uh, so the waiters and waitresses had to slide the orders underneath the door in hopes that somebody would, <laughs> that he'd pick them up and actually, Whoa. so I had to go back and I've got a restaurant full of people who are getting angry because the food's not coming out and I'm pounding on the door. That was my mistake. Uh -huh. uh, there's the other side of it too, which is in a lot of cases, you know, people who work in restaurants are kind of, they aren't necessarily you know, going after a career in a restaurant. You know, they're a waiter and they're trying to make ends meet. And so there's just a lot of sort of stress that comes along with that from the fact that they just don't really even, it's not what they want to do. It's not like, in some cases, and I was lucky, Morgantown, West Virginia is a college town, so you have college kids. College kids are uh, motivated to get an education and get a college degree, so they're doing this on the path of life as opposed to it being their career and their sole source of income. I then moved down to Baltimore to work for a large chain, and everybody who worked there, that was their career, was in the restaurant. Sometimes they weren't really happy about that, mm. you know. Mm. So, and then so it was a restaurant, and then you. I remember you did start another company, right? After mm -hmm. that, yeah, it was a software. No, you started working for another company. Well, no, actually, company. what I ended up doing. Well, first, what happened was I finished up the restaurant. I actually was in college at the time, and I thought another one of those mistakes. I mean, I thought, oh, I can run a restaurant and a bar while I go to cool go to school. Well, no, you work eighty hours a week in the restaurant business. So, <laughs> dropped one class after another in the fall semester. And then finally realized I'm going to have to do this full time. So I dropped out of school. When it was over, I lost all the money I had in the restaurant business. I ended up going and getting back into school, finishing my career. Then I didn't know what to do. So then we, I was sitting at, uh, a, in 1994, I was sitting at a, a family reunion next to Uncle Ian, or Uncle Ian. 
And Ian asked me, what are you doing? I said, I'm, I don't know, I'm still trying to figure out what my next move is going to be. And he said, why don't you move out to Santa Fe, New Mexico with me? I'm, I'm working on my mosaic. And I'm like, what's that mosaic? And it's, this is 94 before World Wide Web had been coined as a phrase and internet. You spoke internet, nobody knew what the hell you were talking about. So I ended up moving out to Santa Fe because I was like, this is really cool. And we ended up starting a business and it was AsianArt.com, which still exists to this day. I didn't realize that you started Asian Art with him. Oh yeah, oh, I, was well. the reason, I was the reason that he started because he said, I really want you to come out. You're, you know, you're in business and everything else. I know the dealers and stuff, but I'm, I'm not really sure I know the business side of things. I mean, he's a businessman himself, but he didn't really want to run that. So mm. he said, come on out. And so I came out, and it was like a beautiful sunny day and blue sky in uh -huh. February. Uh -huh. And I was like, I am sold. This is where I want to go. Uh -huh. So and so we started Asian Art together. Uh -huh. And Asian Art, I mean, AsianArt.com, that's a, like a, an amazing name for a website, for a domain. Like, and it's a pretty sizable site, right? Yeah, like, it's yeah. a pretty sizable site. And to register a domain before then, it was before uh, it was really internet that you had to go to. And you, it was a government organization at the time. You had to submit an application, and you had to prove your residency. You had to. It was like maybe I don't even know what you would compare it to, but uh, maybe getting a liquor license or something. They sent you through a lot of things, and it was a maze to try to get a domain. So we registered AsianArt.com, and we registered AllSop.com. That's why we have mm -hmm. that domain because mm -hmm. it's actually a fairly good good name. We registered a few others as well. If I had boy, if I had had the vision to like register Pepsi.com and yep. some of the others, because mm -hmm. even those big companies didn't even have their yep. domains. So. I, I once met a guy who uh, got in that business basically of buying domains. And he was a domain squatter. Money. Yeah, they were just <laughs> printing money, and it was just the craziest story I've ever heard. But uh, so that's really interesting. Then he started Asian Art, uh, and then um, what it was the next step? What, mm -hmm. So it's funny because Asian Art was a subscription model. Uh -huh. You know, in a day when subscription internet things had not even internet had barely been you know anybody knew it. So as we were going around and we we're trying to sell it to dealers and art galleries and museums, they're kind of like, yeah, okay, maybe. And so we weren't really generating a lot of cash, and I needed to do something pretty quickly. So I said as we were going and telling people th about it they were saying well i've got a business should i should i have a website for my business and so uh we would go and talk to people and eventually it became clear people wanted to hire others to do their website mm -hmm. and so this is all uh when html had just been started everything was left justified there wasn't even a center tag that was available so mm -hmm. it was um we had to be kind of creative with it and then I remember they came out with a center tag and everybody was like, wow, a tag so you can center the text on the, on the page and things like that. So it was very bleeding edge. But we were developing websites for businesses. So it was called Web Art Publishing. And we actually had the domain Web Art, the six, six letter domain name, which is a very valuable domain name. Mm. And, um, and that was another story as well. I had uh, went on and we created another, uh, I actually took that company merged it with two other companies to create another organization called Panorama Point. We had 20 employees. We were a web development company in Santa Fe. And we had, um, you know, big accounts like the Santa Fe Opera and things like that. Uh, the dot-com bubble came along, and the and we ended up um, having to go from 19 employees down to two. Talk about stress. I had to fire employees. I had to fire an employee on December 15th, 10 days before Christmas. Uh, Final employee that had stuck it out. The, you know, the, the employee you lay off last is the best employee. Uh, because, right, you're going to get rid of your, your worst employees first. 
And so I had to look at this poor woman in the eye and she was like, it's 10 days before Christmas. And I was like, we've run out of cash. We have no cash. I'm sorry. And she pretty much hates me to this day because mm-hmm. uh, I kind of ruined her life at that point. So mm-hmm. talk about stress and creativity. I'm sometimes amazed I'm still doing entrepreneurship. That's, that leads me to one place, but I want to uh, talk about uh, what we talked about the other day, which was essentially that you said that um, I asked you to come on the show and then you're like, yeah, I want to come on the show, but I won't have that much to talk about because I don't have that much stress in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so funny because it's like everyone else you hear from. I had Keith Raboy on the show, you know, a couple months ago, and he was saying you have to, you have to work your ass off if you're ever going to be successful. And then you just drop this thing like, oh no, you know, I don't have any stress in my life. Can you talk more about sure. how what your story led you to to doing that, and then also how just like how you basically created a company you've intentionally created the company so that it would give you you less stress and I imagine your employees probably less stress as oh, yeah. well, right because you know that part now yeah totally I mean so almost everybody they say you've got to raise capital and you have to scale um, you know go big or go home that's mm-hmm. the big catchphrase right well I I don't know if I subscribe to that because I've tried that I've been doing that for 22 23 however many years it's been and so I, I had companies where I'm something called packet analytics, where I was taking technology at a Los Alamos national laboratory and commercializing it and getting it out to the marketplace. And, and I can remember even driving actually from your dad's house down the 101 to try to get to a meeting. And I was late for the meeting where it was going to be in front of 12 huge bankers and everything. And we almost missed the whole meeting. Talk about stress. Uh-huh. And I hated it. I really did not enjoy myself. And so I kind of have a philosophy is that, if I'm not gonna have fun in life, why do it, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it, I don't wanna look back on my life when I'm you know, 65, 70, 80 years old, going, wow, I had a great time being totally stressed out. I mean, I, I just read the article about Elon Musk and he's just like, he's crying and like, he is yeah. under so much crazy stress. And he's like the, I mean, one of the most brilliant entrepreneurs up there with Steve Jobs and everybody else. But I, I just don't subscribe to that. I just don't think you have to do that. So I bought this company from a small startup in uh, Boulder, Colorado, and I said I wanted to bootstrap it. And so I have some great investors who are supporting me through this. And so what I've done is, is to create a culture where I treat my employees like they're professionals and I don't tell them where they have to be. Uh, we're here in our office here. Uh, but I travel back and forth between Santa Fe, New Mexico and Denver, Colorado. Companies in Denver, Colorado. My wife and kids are in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I go, um, I go back and forth. And so when I'm in Santa Fe, I don't care whether the employees are here or not. Mm-hmm. That's not important to me. But when they are here, I give them free food. I tell them they, they leave at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. They say, I've got an appointment to meet a plumber or Go for it. Mm. You don't have to feel stressed out like, oh my God, I'm going to hide that from my boss or whatever. Uh-huh. And I have a team that just sometimes almost brings me to tears because they are so loyal and they treat the customers so well. And I have an unlimited vacation policy. Uh-huh. And I had a, a you know, our, our iOS developer last year said, I'm going to go for three weeks in uh, and travel around Europe. Go for it, man. Uh-huh. And, you know, he even, like, checked in a couple times just because he was, like, kind of missing the team. Yeah. Not because he had to or that we're saying you've got to do some work or whatever. He was sending pictures through Slack of, like, you know, the great places he was going to. And it just was, you know, really heartening to me that, that he can do that. I don't, I'm not going to say, what do you mean three, three weeks or whatever? we got to work hard here or whatever. 
And we're the, you know, we're not the number one in the industry, but I know we've actually been looking at some things. We're number two. We're clearly mm. number two in the marketplace. Mm. And we're going up against a company that has taken on $15 million from venture capitalists. They're not a whole lot bigger than we are. They have a staff of 65, because that's what you got to do. Somebody gives you a lot of money, they say, go hire people. Mm -hmm. I have a staff of nine total. We're not much smaller than the other company. Mm -hmm. We're cash flow positive. Every month, we're putting more money in the bank. And we're hiring a director of sales right now. I've got plenty of cash to be able to do that. So it means that I can make payroll each month. I know that my employees are happy and they have what they need. I've instituted a 401k policy. They have all of the health benefits they need. And so when it comes time for us to do something that might be a little bit hard or challenging, everybody just jumps in and they get it done. Mm -hmm. I can go as we, you know, I had a, we have the family vacation. We all go back to Fisher's Island, New York, you know, and I basically unplugged, yeah. you know, and I went away for 10 days. And yeah, I check every once in a while, not because I felt like I needed to. Yeah. I was just like, okay, what's going on at the office and stuff? And I come back and guess what? We've made tons of sales. Our customers are happy. They're giving us, I don't know if you know about NPS, but the Net Promoter Score. We're getting customers giving us 10s on the NPS scale. And it, it, it's just, it's not stressful. Did, did you set a cap for the amount of employees you wanted? Or how have you kind of decided how many people work in this organization? Well, that's, that's a great question. Because when you do have a boatload of cash, you just got to blow it up and start getting a lot of people. When you don't have a boatload of cash, guess what's happened? You get efficient. Uh -huh. And that's what we are. Uh -huh. So we use something. We use something called uh, traction that comes from... There's something called EOS. It's all based on a book written by a guy named Gino Wickman. I highly recommend anybody read this. And there's some actual venture capital firms that will only invest in companies that have adopted traction. And traction is essentially a way to organize the vision for your company and where you want to take it in the next 10 years, three years, one year, what your marketing plan is going to be, and those kind of things. And what that allowed us to do is to be able to... Um, set the foundation of how we were going to take the company forward one and we use rocks rocks are uh, things that you say on a quarterly basis this is what I am committing to as an employee and this is a beauty so I have employees saying I'm gonna commit in this quarter this is what I'm gonna get from my rock and then we all we all look at our rocks and we say okay when we have um, each person has that rock and uh, one of the we also create a company rock and that allows all the employees to know what their rock should be our quarterly rock for this quarter was efficiency because mm. we're like, we don't have a huge staff to be able to get things done. So our director of engineering said, okay, if we're doing efficiency, you know what I want to do? Every Tuesday from one o'clock to two o'clock, any employee in the company can come in with some spreadsheet where they're tracking it. And we're going to look at how we can automate that. We've already eliminated like five or six just redundant and time-consuming spreadsheets and automated it. So it doesn't mean a human has to do it. So if you're venture-backed, you go hire somebody to do the job because you don't, you're not thinking about efficiency, you're thinking about headcount and everything else. We're thinking, we don't have tons of money. We gotta do it efficiently. Mm -hmm. So we end up just reducing the amount of work that, and labor that any one person has to do by making it efficient. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens when you don't have a boatload of cash mm -hmm. in the bank. And this is something that is happening to a lot of companies around because you have you have WhatsApp who got an acquisition for 19, you know nineteen billion dollars and I believe they only had like twenty employees or something right. like that. Uh, so it's turning into like one person can do a huge amount of work. 
and this is some startups are now starting to to do this. I was working with one of them, Everest, I actually interviewed the, the the founder, and what they do is they automate repetitive work so that you can basically only focus on creative work and stuff like that, and that's their job. So they actually work for companies, and it's like ten dollars an hour basically. Uh, so I tried it out. It was pretty cool. I I got a bunch of emails for all the yoga studios in France, uh, and then they scraped it basically, and then I sent out the emails to the to the uh, sales emails for a yoga workshop. Um, <laughs> But the, cool. but the, this is this is an interesting thing that technology is about to do is basically automate all this repetitive work so that you can kind of just uh, do w- w- what the creative stuff, which is sometimes the most hard hardest stuff and sometimes the the most fun as well. Right. Um, what do you see the line is between creative work and repetitive work, and how much repetitive work are you doing throughout the day? Have you thought about this at all? Oh, totally. I mean, yeah. because because our rock is efficiency, we're uh, all thinking about it. Uh, all nine of us are thinking about it every day, uh-huh. and the things that we've figured out are pretty amazing. Uh-huh. So, I just had a conversation with our director of customer experience, and she was she was working with our business manager because. You know, we're in a recurring revenue business, and we do a lot of business with large companies, and they don't pay by credit card. They want to pay by invoice and stuff. Mm. So mm. we have to set up an initial invoice, and as soon as we set up the initial, we have to set up a recurring invoice, and mm. then that recurring invoice needs to be sent out, and then the company might say, well, I need a purchase order, and then they're late on it. So what I ended up doing was, uh, this is one great example. Our business manager was spending tons of time checking in on invoices that hadn't been paid. She's writing emails, she's got these templates and copy and paste. She takes it to our director of engineering. Director of engineering figures out a system to automate that whole thing. Mm. So now all the reminders, all the things, she was taking as much as 10, 12 hours a week doing this, uh-huh. reduced down to an hour. Uh-huh. You know, And so that's the kind of efficiency. And that creativity is mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. You know, she, you should see her. She's, she's beaming from yeah. ear to ear because she, she doesn't have to do that work. She do that. Yeah, she's yeah. like dreading. Oh my yeah. God, I have to yeah. send out. Yeah. You know, and we're not a company that's doing, you know, we do have some customers that are, you know, paying us 50 and $100,000 a year. But for the most part, you know, similar to the order I was just fulfilling today, because, uh, you know, my sales guy is out and, and another one, he's going to be out for two and a half weeks while he takes his, uh, his vacation and we're going to support him. And he's going to be able to go and take his honeymoon and be totally happy and everything. But I was, you know, it's a $3,500 sale is what we made. Okay, that's pretty good, but it's not enormous. And what that means is you have a lot of invoices because you're not doing these. It's not one giant invoice. It's mm-hmm. lots of littler invoices, mm-hmm. which requires Time. more work. Yep. So mm-hmm. that kind of creativity, I think, is, is fun because the whole team is just feeling like, you know, we're doing this efficiently. You know, everybody's worked in a company where they're like, why do we do it this mm-hmm. way, yeah. you know? And we're constantly looking at it. If somebody raises their hand and says, why are we doing it this way? We look at it and say, yeah, why are we doing it that way? <laughs> cool. Let's figure out a solution. So we all get together in, like, one of the conference rooms here at industry, and, uh-huh. and we start mapping it out and go, well, we could do this much better, uh-huh. you know? Uh-huh. So. And so we, we've... You talked about how, like, you just said something uh, uh, like 10 minutes ago, essentially about how, uh, why am I still doing this, this stressful thing? Uh, can you talk more about that? Why are you actually doing? Why are you, why did you create a company? Why is it something that you continuously return to? That's a great question. I think it's in their blood because, you know, all of my siblings, I swear, we're all basically work for ourselves. None of us work for, you know, if you just look across into that, all yeah. of us. Yeah. You know, Joe started his own company and, you know, Ian, who has his own gallery and everything. So it, um, I think it's definitely in our in our blood. Uh, there might be a little bit. Some people have told me that I'm always trying to, like, be as good as my older brothers and uh-huh. stuff, you know. So there's a little bit of that. Uh-huh. But I definitely feel like I'm doing it differently and, and the way I want to. And so 
what keeps me coming back is that I know in my core there is a different way to do it and we're doing it now and it's honestly I've kind of it was hard for me to really continue to believe in this thing of yes it can be done differently and I go to bed smiling every night because I'm like fuck yeah I'm doing it right now and that's what's happening Mm -hmm. and then when we go out to a team lunch and I see all the happy faces and when I sit down at a one-on-one with my employees and they're just like, yeah, I don't really have much to talk about because we have, I'm having a great time here mm-hmm. and not, you know, it'll happen eventually, but not one of the people that I've hired so far has left the company. Mm-hmm. There's just an incredible amount of loyalty and, and they just realize I treat them like human beings. They, they act like adults. I don't have to, you know, babysit them. And there's a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs have a significant control problem. Mm-hmm. You know, they're always saying, oh, you've got to do it this way. You've got to do it that. Why are you doing it that way? Mm-hmm. And you just have to release that control. But, but if you're going to release that control, you have to hire the right people. Mm-hmm. And, we've, and I've had to fire so far three people mm-hmm. from this company. Um, and I made bad hires. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the other part of it is I have learned what it takes to hire somebody who's really good. Mm-hmm. And again, and I, and I don't want to be sitting here bashing, you know, taking venture capital because there are companies that cannot grow without additional capital. Mm-hmm. I'm in a lucky business. We have a, it's a SaaS based business that has SaaS metrics. A lot of, almost all of our customers pay us in advance. So the cash flow is fantastic and the metrics work out for it. But a lot of times, you know, if, uh, you'll have a board meeting and they'll say, why isn't it you haven't hired a VP of sales? Mm-hmm. And if you say, I can't quite get them to fit in the culture, they'll be like, Go hire a VP of sales right now, like uh-huh. tomorrow. Uh-huh. Well, it's probably not going to be the right hire. Right. Are they going to Are they going to carry the culture of the company forward? Mm-hmm. We've been looking for a director of sales. Now I'm the director of sales now. Uh-huh. You know, not the best director of sales. And the companies get much better when we find the right person. But we've been looking for four months, mm-hmm. and we've had some people come across that are really quite good, mm-hmm. but they haven't quite fit the mold of who we want to have. Mm-hmm. We did the same thing with the director of marketing. We hired a director of marketing back in uh, October of last year. And it took us about four months, and he is awesome. He has, you know, really been, he just came on to the, he, he actually said, I have never joined a team and felt like I'm part of the team so quickly than when I came into the receptionist. And so, and, and I would say that for pretty much all of our employees and all our team members. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that question of essentially why we do this, why we, why we continue to start companies when it's so stressful, um, there's also this element of, I think, of uh, when you do it, it's really hard to go back to anything else, really, because once you've noticed that kind of freedom, and it's not a total freedom because you still have to, there's a lot of stakeholders that you have to you have to kind of work with and everything, like your employees are not, you know, you, you have a responsibility to them and everything like, like that, right? Right. Um, so it's this notion of like, of this stress can act as a motivator as well, too. It's like you kind of get a little bit addicted to it, like, and, mm-hmm. and this is the whole Elon Musk thing and everything like that. Like, he's working like crazy, and nobody's telling them to do that, and it's like there's this deep imbalance that a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs have, and a question I come to often is like whether that is uh, is an is an aspect of agency on their part that they just kind of are falling into this thing because that's what their the chemicals are just saying, or or whether there is an op- another way. But I guess with a bigger company, with a billion dollar company, there is no other way. You have to kind of you mm-hmm. have to you have to go that path of venture capital, high stress, high conflict kind of kind of thing. What do you think? What do you think about that? I mean, I think that's um, what's interesting about it is I, I have not. It's not as if I've always been an entrepreneur and hadn't started my own companies. Mm-hmm. I've, I've worked for 
three or four, maybe five companies in New Mexico uh, that were run by other people. Um, and some of them, you know, one of them I was really enjoying the experience, but unfortunately the the application of the technology was too late to the market. The market had matured and it, it had very mature applications and we came in as like this nascent early product and everybody's like, well, that technology already exists and stuff, so that was really hard. But I loved the CEO. Huh. He, had, he had already built another company. It was, it was just a pleasure to work with him. Another company I worked with um, where you know, old technology again, unfortunately, and, and the the entrepreneur was not, or the, the CEO was not, not willing to make a change. He was too afraid of making change. And, and I'm not afraid to make change. You have to make changes if you're going to succeed in, in entrepreneurship. So those were stressful times for me because I was in situations, particularly with the second one, maybe not the first one, where I felt like I didn't have the control I needed to be able to get. And I knew that if I did it the way I wanted to do it, it would work. If I found the right product, if I found the right market, if I got the right team. And so that's what I have now. Mm -hmm. And that was stressful, you know, having that. So, um, and that you know, taught you that taught you what you didn't want, basically. It taught you right. what you didn't want in order for you to be able to figure out what you do want. And exactly. then how did how did you how did you, you so you said that you found this guy who had this company and he wanted to sell it. How did you find him and what was the like what was the how did you make that decision of like, oh this is the one, this is mm -hmm. this is the thing that I have to spend my time doing? Well, I mean, I think, so the last company I worked for in New Mexico was a small startup, and it was it was called UC Charting Solutions. If anybody looks on my LinkedIn profile, they'll see it there, and it was run by a guy named Larry Goldstone. Uh, and Larry's just a great guy. I uh, really loved working with him. Really, really smart guy. But the technology, unfortunately, wasn't wasn't making it. And, um, you know, he basically said, look, we're, we're out of money. I can't, I can't take this any further, and that was in July of 2014. And I looked at my wife, Jameson, and I said, you know what, Jameson, I've got to go to Denver. I've been wanting to go to Denver. I need to be in a bigger market. Um, I do feel as though it's difficult for me to make things run in New Mexico. And anybody who does make things really work in New Mexico, I have a, a huge amount of high regard for anybody who does. It's, it's um, a great place. I love it. It is my home. It's where my kids were born. But I just couldn't make it happen. Everything, everything I tried, it was frustrating. It was stressful, everything else. So... I came to, uh, I was actually coming out of um, UC Charting Solutions, which was an electronic health record company, you know, where doctors are uh, on a tablet, they're writing in, you know, your condition and things like that. So I had some experience in that, and I was like, all right, I don't know, if that's the one thing you find as an entrepreneur is you're the, you know, um, you don't have talents in a lot of, you're not necessarily very focused on marketing or you're not very focused on an industry. You're just kind of going from one thing to another. I went from information technology security to, you know, electronic health records. So it's really hard for me to say, okay, I'm really a master of this. this. Skill, yeah. uh, so I was like, okay, I, I, my recent experience was, was at an EHR company and I'm going to take that and try to parlay that. So I started just networking. I actually went to the, there's two industry buildings here in Denver, Colorado. It's where I, uh, we are in the newest one. And I, I started the company in the oldest one. And it was one of the first places I went through connections that I had was to the industry building. And I met a ton of people. And from that, it was just like one thing after another. I started looking at healthcare companies and everything else. And I just networked like crazy. And one person I'd meet, I'd say, can you give me one or two other people I should talk to? And the, the, what, I, what I really love about this community is that it's a very welcoming community. I would have somebody saying, hey, you know what, go up to Boulder and meet with this CEO. 
And I would say, okay, great, can you send an intro? And the CEO would be like, sure, come on up, I'd be happy to meet with you. And they'd sit down with me and they'd say, you know what, we can't really use your skills here, but there's a CEO over here. I just went from CEO to CEO to CEO to other people. And there's this one guy at Milstein, and um, actually who I have a connection to from somebody else who was in New Mexico. And he said, why don't you go up to Boulder? And there's this guy, Ted Guggenheim, he's running this company called Textus and the iPad receptionist. And so I said, okay, I made an intro, went up there. And there were like three guys under one roof trying to run two companies. And he was like, uh, you know, I was like, well, maybe I can do some consulting. He's like, yeah, but I don't have any money. Uh -huh. Long story short, what ended up happening was I said, what about if I actually purchased or acquired the iPad receptionist from you? And it was like a very early kind of an MVP, you know, minimum viable product. And, um, you know, they had a, a, a customers using it, inclusive, including Yahoo and a few others. And I was like, okay, this is really interesting. Did my due diligence and I said, I'll buy it from you. And that's what led me to it is mm -hmm. was, was the infiltrating kind of a community mm -hmm. and then getting to know people. And I was really lucky to be able to just go after one person after another and just have some great conversations and meet a lot of people. And, and what about it? What about the iPad receptionist drew you to it? Like... It was a very simple application. Wow. A lot of the things I did was like I had this thing that came out of LANL was a network forensic search engine. It would search high volume network data to look for intrusion. So somebody would say, what do you do? And I was like, well, it's a network forensic search engine. And people would be like, what's that? And it would take me 15 minutes to describe it. Yeah. When I describe this to people, I'm like, it's an iPad. You check on in on it. It yeah. texts you that you're, you know, you're the person you're there. And, and so I can, I, in 15 seconds, I can tell people what I do and they get it. Yeah. So it's simple. It was a recurring revenue business, you know, so I wanted that. I mean, I've been in the, the web development business, which is, here's a $50,000 proposal. Do you want it? Yeah, okay. Start working on it. Okay, where's the next $50,000 proposal to, to support all these people that you've hired? Mm -hmm. if, crap, we didn't get any more sales. Uh-oh, we don't have enough money to make, you know, payroll mm -hmm. and stuff. This is a recurring revenue business. I knew I wanted to be in something like that. It was in software. It was in IT. And it was, I just, I actually went and started talking to the customers who were customer, customers of the iPad receptionist. Mm -hmm. And they were all like, this thing's great. It's yes. fantastic, uh -huh. you know. Some people were saying, you know, we lost our receptionist, so we put this in place and it's like solved our problem. They have other people that are like, yeah, we have a receptionist and we use this in conjunction so the receptionist can do more stuff. And I'm like, these are great stories. I love this. Uh -huh. So I just had a an intuition that this was the right business for me. And then you started doing the sales yourself, right? I did everything. Yeah, yeah we started when we were at the industry building on Brighton Boulevard. There were, um, we set up a folding table, much like the one that's right in front of you, in fact. Right. And uh, it was uh, the sales guy who was working for the company. It was kind of like a part-time, three-quarter time salesperson. And I had a support person who was kind of half-time, who was actually doing support from Brooklyn, uh, New York. And um, that's the way we set it up. So I was doing everything. I was doing finance. I was, he was doing some of the sales. I was doing a lot of the sales, the bigger sales. Uh, you know, I was doing, we didn't even have an engineer at that point. I did hire somebody on contract because I had this philosophy that I don't know what we need, so I'm going to hire everybody on contract. I got a little bit of capital from some angel investors, and then I just said, okay, I'm going to hire an engineer to do this and just got contractors to do it. And then my, my business plan was to say, okay, once I've figured out where all the contractors are and how much time they needed, I was like, I'm going to fill in with full-time people. Mm -hmm. So support person left. <laughs> she was like, I want to go back to the other company, text us that I bought it from. Um, so, you know, on whatever date I'm going to quit. And then I hired Jessica Marshall and she was the first person 
she was really the first full-time person I hired. She was our, now our director of customer experience. She was our support person. And then we need an engineer. So I hired Dylan Berry, and he's our director of engineering now. And then we realized quickly we needed an iOS engineer, so we hired Ryan Wedig. And then so it kind of just went from that. Hmm. Um, and so you talked a little bit about how um, you've talked to me before about your meditation practice and that, how that helps you. Can you talk more about that? And, sure. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I use Headspace, uh, which is funny because they use our competitor's product. Uh, but I actually uh, had some, you know, um, had some conversations with them, but I don't, that never went anywhere, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I, I found, I have found that meditation is really important and is part of what contributes to my happiness mm -hmm. and my lack of stress. Because it is a, a time where I can just drop in and let everything else go. And I do it with Headspace and Andy Puticum's, you know, voice is very soothing and everything. And um, so I've, I use it on a daily basis and have used it for, I've been meditating for five or six years. Mm. You know, Headspace wasn't around, so I would like find these, like, I, I, I like guided meditation because uh -huh. I'm not really good. I'm not the kind of guy just like sit for an hour and be completely quiet or whatever. Um, and because so, my mind is still racing and stuff, but it gives me that opportunity to mm -hmm. just kind of let go and it's funny because um you know it heads I, I like headspace so much so i actually made that uh another benefit for our employees they uh, get free cool. headspace subscriptions if you want to i don't uh, make anybody yeah. do headspace <laughs> or anything but yeah. um i had a bunch of our employees just say this is fantastic uh -huh. you know thanks so much i was i didn't even i had kind of tried meditation but this gives me the structure i need to be able to do it so. interesting yeah i've thought a lot about the because i've started to I've, I've taught yoga and meditation in one company before and i've thought a lot about it as to like how you do it how you can bring it into the company culture and i've heard of some companies actually making it a requirement to to meditate uh to join a meditation session and stuff like that but i don't i don't think that'll work i don't think it's a good way of of because then it turns it kind of into a cult, and that's actually right. what Peter Thiel says a lot: is that actually companies are moving towards becoming cults, essentially. Um, right. You know, a leader that's unquestionable and kind of like the Steve Jobs of, of things like that, and that's that's the way bigger companies are, are running into and stuff like that. Um, but that's really interesting. If you have like one piece of advice for people who are starting a company or creating anything, what is it? Or what is one book that you would recommend? Or what kind of uh, yeah, just what would you kind of tell people in this situation where they're thinking about starting something and have that drive to do it? Yeah, there are, there are lots of books. Um, I don't know which one I would ne necessarily recommend out of them. What would be the one piece of advice that I'd give them? I guess the piece of advice I'd give is don't get too caught up in the whole thing of I've got to, I've got to make this big, you know, if I've got to, you know, go big or go home kind of stuff. I don't, I just don't subscribe to that. Um, and it's been great, actually, because your dad, who's a venture capitalist, uh -huh. is uh, somebody who advises me a lot. And he's like, yeah, you don't need to do go big or go home, which is kind of funny. It's, uh -huh. you know, maybe in opposition of what a venture capitalist might say. And, he, and it's mostly because of the type of business that I'm in. But I think that's important um, because there's a lot of businesses where you may think, oh, God, I'm so interested in it and I want to do it. But you may not understand what it's going to take to get it to scale to the point at which it can be successful. And after 23, 24 years, I was able to look at this business and say, okay, I think this is a business that I can grow without having to take a whole boatload of capital and have all of that stress. I really believe this is something. And so it was only because of that experience that I was able to do that. But I would probably say, what does this thing look like in three or four or five years? 
do I like that? Mm-hmm. You know, does this re- is this require a team of two hundred people in two years? And will I be happy if I'm just like bringing in all of these people and doing it at a breakneck pace and working eighty hours a week? And oh yeah, are you married? Do you have kids? You know, mm-hmm. and that you're si- yeah, yeah, you're signing up to potentially not be involved in their lives because you are going to be so focused. When I hear Elon Musk saying he's working 120 hours a week, I'm yeah, thinking to it myself. Spending any time with his Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's, he's got, I can't remember how many kids he has, and he also has a third wife or whatever, and I, they must never see him, mm-hmm. you know, because he's traveling between all of his companies and everything. Mm-hmm. So, um, and some people just like thrive on that type of mm-hmm. life, and, and that is cool. I mean, to be able to, you know, make an Uber, or make any of these companies like an Airbnb or whatever else it is, it requires a lot of work and mm-hmm. you're almost selling your soul, mm-hmm. you know? And is that what you want to do? And if, you know, there's a lot of people out there like, yes, I will do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. And and more power to you. If that's, that's what really enriches your life and makes you feel happy, great, go for it. Mm-hmm. So. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. I'm, I'm always glad uh, glad to talk about my entrepreneurial pursuits. So great questions. Thank you. Cool.